So my name is Brian, and uh, I'm the lead pastor at Antioch Beverly. It's great to be with you guys. I actually preached here once. I think it was a couple of years ago. It's awesome to be back with you guys. Uh, if you could put that picture up there, this is my family. This is you get, you get in the preview of the Christmas photo right here. Okay, just got these taken like last week. Okay, so that's my wife Jade, and uh, the oldest is Sam, looking kind of angry. Uh, down the left, and then. Uh, to the right is Wes. He's four, so Sam's six. Wes is four. Alma, the wind was blowing her hair a little bit, so she's covering her face, but she's two. And then little Flora is three months old yesterday. So um, there's the fam, and we live up on the North Shore. And uh, yeah, so before I was a pastor, I was a math teacher for 10 years. I taught in a couple different public schools. And so that meant that in college, I was a, ma- I was a math major. And two of the courses that were the most difficult for me were uh, differential equations and uh, numerical analysis. Now, for some of you, you just, you just like woke up in a nightmare, right? You're like, oh my gosh, you know, that's the nightmare of nightmares, and I'll be a math major in college. But um, these courses were especially difficult. The first one, differential equations, that's kind of like, if you don't know what that is, that's like calculus on steroids, Okay, so it's just so complex. And of course, it was, it was scheduled for 8 a.m. in the morning, you know, which for a college student is just, you know, you're not even supposed to be awake then. So I can just remember that uh, the, probably the hardest exam I ever took in my whole college career was this take-home differential equations exam. I spent 15 hours on this sucker. And each problem, I swear, was like eight pages long, you know, of like these crazy equations. I remember at one point I was working on one of these problems and my roommate, you know, busts into the room, you know, whatever, it's college life. And it was like, it was like he, he woke me up from this dream. You know, I was so like enmeshed in this problem. It was like I couldn't even like engage with the real world. I was so lost in this thing. The second class that I had was kind of the opposite of the complexity of that course. This other course that I, that I took was called numerical analysis. And I, I, can't, even, I can't even tell you now what that even was. This class was the opposite. It was at 1 p.m. So, you know, you just eat lunch. You head out to class. The windows in this room didn't open. You know, so it's just a little bit warmer than it should be in there. And that was the course where everyone was just kind of doing this, you know, just this head nod. So that whole course was just a fog. So all that to say, hey, in life, oftentimes we are in seasons that are complex or are confusing. We feel like we, we, we don't know what's going on or the pieces that we do have. There's, there's so much of it that it's hard to know what to do. So maybe for you, it's at your job. Maybe, maybe there's, there's just challenging decisions that you have to make that are affecting people's lives. Maybe there's an ethical dilemma that you're facing and, and both sides feel like a loss or it's, it's hard to know what the right decision is to make. Some of you, maybe you're making those decisions in a split second in an ER room, you know? For some of you, maybe you're parenting a teenager, right? And the complexity of, of, of what's going on in our world today with technology and phones and at what age is this appropriate and when do I have this talk and, you know, all those kinds of things, just incredibly confusing, incredibly complex. Maybe you're a student right now and you're, you know, facing some difficult things. You're facing a test or you're just like, man, this is so hard. Am I going to make it through this? I just, the enormity of what I have to stuff into my brain is just overwhelming. So the question I want to ask today is, is what does God 
have for us in a complex and confusing world? What does he offer to us or what are we to do in those seasons where it feels like we just don't know what is going on or what to do because we're so confused? And oftentimes, I don't know about you, but for me, what that produces is anxiety. When confusion or complexity arise, the fear meter starts to, starts to go up a little bit. So what does God have for us when we're facing complex and confusing situations? So to answer that question today, I want to look at a very small passage of Scripture. And this is a psalm, as you guys have been looking at the psalms. It's, it's called a song of ascents, which means that the Jewish people would sing this song. It was probably written to music as they were going up to Jerusalem to celebrate some festival. There's this whole group of psalms around this number that were written for their pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. Okay? This one's written by David, who lived a very complex life. You know his story in the Bible at all? Man, all kinds of family issues, relational tension from wives to sons uh, to bosses, so to speak, just all kinds of crazy relational dynamics, years of kind of living on the road and, and under danger. So he was, he was no stranger to complexity and confusion, and yet he writes this amazing psalm that we're going to look at today. All right, so if you've got a Bible... Turn to Psalm 131, or you can pull it out on your phone. Psalm 131. All right, here's what David says. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. First thing that David does here is he talks about a posture of humility. We have to understand when we're faced with complex or confusing situations that are raising the anxiety, Jesus is not confused about your situation. God, there's nothing that is too complex for him. He's created everything in this world. So we have to to, to approach God in these situations knowing that there's someone that is not confused about your life. There's someone that the complexity you're facing is, is incredibly simple to him. And so David is saying, my heart is not lifted up. I'm not exalting myself. I'm not manning up to the challenge. I'm saying, okay, Lord, you're God, and I'm not. His eyes are not raised too high. It's kind of saying, like, he doesn't have this... this selfish ambition that is driving his life or this, this sense of comparing himself to others and looking down on others. And thirdly, he's saying, hey, I'm not occupying myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. Maybe that's, hey, I'm, I'm, not, 
I'm letting go of this sense of trying to become someone great, or I'm not demanding to know the answer to every question. Oftentimes when we're faced with confusing things, we we say, I need answers. And maybe in your prayer life, you're like, God, you got to tell me what's going on and what I need to do. Now, it's not to say that God doesn't have answers for you. He does. But the posture that we need to have to approach him is first one of humility. For some of us, maybe even there's things in this book. I paid $30,000 to understand this book, and all I got was a bunch more questions. Can you believe that? Man. There's confusing things even here. There's confusing things around us as we try to say, okay, God exists. Does he exist? How does, why is there evil in this world? Why is there bad stuff happening in my life? All these theological questions that often we have that we struggle to either understand the Bible or understand about God and the world around us. David is saying, I am letting those things go. I am humbling myself and saying, okay, you have all the answers. You have all wisdom about everything. And I'm just saying, okay, I am going to sit back for a second here and understand who I am. Many of you had a reminder of this this week because it was Halloween. Now, just as an aside, wherever you go with Halloween, you know, church or whatever, I just want to say this is like the number one way to meet your neighbors in New England. You've got kids, man, dress them up, get them out there, redeem the holiday. That's what I'm saying, okay? Okay, that's all I want to say about that. But let me just say, hey, I bet this week you saw some Anna, 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 Anna and Elsa costumes, right? Frozen's all over the place. Let it go, let it go. There's the gospel right there, okay? Sorry, that was terrible, okay? All I'm saying is, right, let it go. Let it go. What is causing us to hold on to some of these things? It's the opposite of humility. It's pride. It's saying, I have to have the answers to this. I have to have the solution to this problem because if I don't, I won't be happy. And that's what it's all about. Now, oftentimes that's not what we think consciously, but subconsciously, that's what's going on in our world. We have said, this world is about me and I have to have these certain things. And so when I face a problem, when I face something that is confusing or complex, it brings up this fear because if I don't have it, I'm not going to have what I need. So sometimes that also produces anger. This problem or this person or this complex relationship is blocking my goal. Or I've got to accomplish this thing. Or I'm not going to be the person that I need to be so people will love me. Pride is a driver here. And David is approaching it in the opposite spirit. He's just letting all of these things go. I, mean, I see this with my kids all the time, right? I mean, you think, God, I'm going to have, gonna have a family, you know, have some kids. This will be nice. So they'll just kind of hang out and love each other all the time. And then you get these kids, and they're just like, I want this, you know? And they don't get it, and they just like explode, and you're like, what is going on, you know? 
It's just unbelievable. I mean, I just never expected that because I wasn't like that, right? Okay. <laughs> Guys, sometimes it's really, there's really a sneaky trap where it's like, I want to do something great for God. Some of us kind of more religious-minded people, we think, well, I've got to do something great for God, and so if there's something blocking or it's confusing or complex, I'm getting crazy about it. It's, it's throwing me off. David is saying the way to face complexity, confusing situations, problems in your life is first, you have to let go. You've got to let go of the demand that this problem is solved. Oh man, I learned this lesson this week. Oh, so hard. My wife and I are trying to buy a home. I will not give you the whole story, but this will, if we get this house, it'll be the eighth move in uh, four years. Two births along that path. Boy, that was rough. Okay, so the financing for this mortgage was just really complicated because some, some really silly, I think it's silly if I was the mortgage guy, picayune details, and so it got really complex. We had to put down a lot more money than we thought, so that's going to be interesting. But all that to say, it, it, it was just super stressful. We were on vacation this week in Colorado, like trying to enjoy time with my wife's family and trying to deal with all these things. And so I'm just Anxiety, right? It's confusing, complex situation. What's going to happen? The challenge is, am, am I going to let that go? Is this going to be the thing that, that determines my happiness or my self-worth or, the, or the, you know, the trajectory of my family? My wife just said to me last night, she's like, this, this, this house is not my, my whole life. And so I am not going to worry about this. I'm going to do everything I can to make this happen because we feel like this is the right move. But if it doesn't work out, I will be okay. I needed to hear that from her. That's step one, okay? Step two is this. Little weird little metaphor here. Like I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now there's two options of how to interpret this here. Okay, the first is, as most of your Bibles probably say, is this weaned child idea. Now, um, so a child that's weaned is not nursing any longer. So the picture is maybe that child is sitting calmly with its mother, and so the mother's able to calm it down. Um, and maybe what David is saying there is, hey, that's no easy task. <laughs> if you've got a child that's not nursing anymore, oftentimes they're in your lap, it ain't calm. We were on a plane with four little kids. We landed at, you know, 1 a.m. on Friday night or Saturday morning. That is like, you know, my two-year-old daughter, she's weaned. That is not easy on the plane, okay? <laughs> Oftentimes it does take the mom, okay? So maybe that's the idea that Dave is getting at here, okay? And this child is seeking some relationship or comfort from the mother. But I also want to offer another idea is that I actually think that that word weaned can be translated a different way. And I just saw this in a commentary I read, but uh, <clears throat> I had to look up this English word, a sated child. In other words, I mean, Hebrew is kind of this raw language, right? So Weaned means a child that is, has finished nursing. But it could also mean a child that has just finished nursing. You're following? A child that is not nursing because they've just finished nursing. Now, if you want to see what that picture looks like, like instead of looking at my two-year-old Alma, who's bouncing all over the airplane seats, you just look over at my wife who's got, you know, three-month-old floor, and she's just, you know, I'm like, okay, I'll deal with Alma, and you get to have her? Like, what's going on here, you know? I think I would say, if I was to pick one of those two things, I think that that's really the picture that David is after here. 
Because if you think about that child that's just come off, right, has just finished nursing, they're full, they're relaxed, and usually they just are falling asleep, totally happy and content. And David is saying, that is what I have done to my soul. He has calmed and quieted his soul. In the midst of a complex or confusing situation or overwhelming circumstances, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to let go of the things that are going on around me, and I'm just going to calm myself down. I have to say, this is possible. So I totally failed on this with the house deal, but I passed the test Friday night. Because when we were on the plane, our kids got sick. First it was Alma, and I was ready because she said, my stomach hurts. And I was like, okay, you know, super dad, you know. I get this little bag, yeah, I was like, oh, she's not going to throw up. You know, she just feels like, blah, you know, right in the bag. I'm like, okay, we got in the bag, no problem. Start cleaning her up, you know. All of a sudden, the row behind me, Sam is sleeping, my oldest. He starts throwing up out of his sleep all over the seats, you know. So it's like, okay, you know, like, we got a situation. Tuck that away, get the stewardess, you know, I'm, I'm like, honey, push the dinger, like, dang it up, Al, you know, people throwing up. She's cleaning that up, we finally get him, he's all, you know, I, I was the wise dad, I said, honey, we should bring a change of clothes, you know, like the one time I'm the guy that says that, I said, I can't believe it, you know, just strip him down right in the seat, put some clothes on, you know, okay, I'm like, I'm going to go to the bathroom, wash my hands, they're both, you know, as I'm coming out of the bathroom, the stewardess goes, there's another one. I'm like, I'm like you got to be kidding me. I run back. You know, there's Wes, my four-year-old. He's puking all over. And my wife said she didn't know what was happening at first, but she was just looking in the seat behind, and there's just throw up just running down the side of the plane. So he's a disaster. We're cleaning him up. And then Alma throws up again. Didn't catch that one. Oh, man, it was a disaster. <clears throat> all that to say, in those moments, I've been pra- trying to practice this. I just was like, okay. I am just, I do not have to get excited here. I don't have to get upset. I need to move fast, but I don't need to be Mr. Stressball. Because guys, you know what? It's a choice. No one can make you feel anything. You understand that? No one can make you feel anything. Right? Feelings come from within. And we have a choice in our mind to speak to our soul and what's inside of us and say, hey, Hey, quiet down in there, okay? You don't believe me? It is true. You should have seen that scene, okay? They're like, wow, you guys are amazing. I'm like, I don't know how I'm so calm. I've been trying to practice this thing. Maybe maybe it's Jesus, okay? We are able to speak over and over again in the Psalms. When you've heard some of these lines as you've been walking through this, like, right, be still my soul, right, or bless the Lord, O my soul. David is using his mind, he's using his will to tell his mind to speak to his heart and his soul, to praise the Lord or to be calm, right? We have a choice. You always have a choice. You understand that? You have the power in your willer, in your chooser inside of you to tell your mind what to think and to speak to your soul and say, calm down, let go, rest, okay? That's what David is doing. He's got a posture, and just think about the picture that he's creating here with this child and its mother. And if you know anything about David's life, man, these were some serious circumstances. There's a dude with a huge army pursuing him for years, trying to end his life. Later on, his own son 
rebels against him and is pursuing him to try to take him out. I mean, it's not like David's just living this rosy life, like up on a mountain with the sheep still, playing a harp, right? He had those days when he was younger, okay? Those days are over, okay? He went through some hard times. I'm just trying to get you to understand. This is not like some rosy, this is like real life that he is dealing with here. If you think your life's tough, man, read some David. I mean, I'm just talking, his wife betrays him, his son does, he's got this boss trying to kill him. It is intense. And yet, he can say in this, I calmed and quieted my soul. There's this funny story in, in, in David's life where, okay, just another crazy story, right? He's off, you know, fighting wars and battles, and they come back to where they live, and someone has raided this, their camp and taken all of their stuff and their women and children are, as slaves. They're gone. And all of his men gather around him and are ready to kill him. You know, this is just a minor story in his life, minor drama, you know. And it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. I always wonder, how did he do that? I mean, what does that mean? It didn't say, okay, he sat down and like prayed these prayers or like opened the Bible and, you know. What did he do in that moment? I think this psalm is exactly what happened there. He just kind of let go for a moment and said, hey, soul, be still. And, and, and turned his heart to the Lord. Guys, this is a powerful thing that I am talking about here. Guys, ministry, bringing the kingdom of God, only happens from a place of rest. It doesn't come any way else. If it's coming from our own, it is not Jesus that's operating. It's just us doing stuff that maybe looks like God. St. Augustine said, right, my heart was restless until it found its rest in thee. That is the, the journey of a follower of Jesus is to find your rest in God. And a way to do that is just to let go for a moment and just be still. Right? Mother Teresa said, famous quote of hers, the fruit of silence is prayer. The fruit of prayer is faith. The fruit of faith is service. The fruit of service is love. And the fruit of uh, love is peace. You see, though, there that it's not just an exterior silence because you can't guarantee that. Come to my home. <laughs> ha! <laughs> Woo! Right? It's an interior silence, that the fruit of which is prayer. That's the place where we actually can connect to God is when we let go of the, the monkey brain feeding us all kinds of crazy thoughts all the time and just running nuts. Guys, this is a challenge in our culture. Because of this silly thing, that now we have to have one of these, and it's dinging all the time, and it's telling me where I need to be, and the craziness of our calendars, and our indoor sedentary jobs, right? It pulls us out of, of what God created as a, as a very beautiful, peaceful world. We so often are just distracted in. So the challenge that I want to offer you today, in the midst of complexity, 
in the midst of, of chaos or of confusion, you have to understand that the first step is humility that moves to a place of resting and letting go of all of the craziness that your mind wants to, you to attach to. That's the challenge. And note it, know this too. You're not entering a void because we're not living in a void. God is all around us right now. Jesus is sitting right next to you. There's someone next to you. He can be really skinny if he wants to be. Okay? <laughs> you are in that place of peace. You're entering into connection with a person. It's connection with a person who is the answer. Obviously, he has the answers too, but he is the answer. He is the answer. He is the answer to the real problem, which is what's going on in us. That's the real problem. And notice what happens in this last verse. It says, oh, sorry, I'm almost 40, and I've got to lean in here. Eyes are getting weak. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So now it's shifted from this picture of this little baby that's just finished nursing in its mother's arms to David speaking to the assembly. He's saying, hey, everybody, hope in the Lord right now and forever. This is the answer. The answer is to hope in the Lord. And do you notice that it's a person that has found their rest in God that is a person that can influence the people around them? You cannot be a culture changer unless you have the culture of heaven inside of you. Right? This is what able, enables you to be an influencer of the circumstances that you are in. If you do not quiet and calm your soul, you will not change the conversation in the lunchroom. Are you tracking with me? <clears throat> if you do not calm and quiet your soul, you will not engage your kids the way that Jesus wants to be engaging them. Whatever the, the confusion and the chaos is in your world, Jesus is the answer. And you're not going to shift the things around you until you have come to that place of, I can let this go. This isn't the real battle. The real battle is for what's in here. Right? What you, as an as a awesome man of God, has once said, the problem is not the problem. The problem is what you believe about the problem. The battle is inside. <clears throat> you're either going to be an absorber of the chaos or you're going to be an influencer of the chaos. It comes through a resting in God. Guys, the ground of all of this is, is, is really simple, but really tricky to, to get your body and mind and your whole soul wrapped around. And that is that Jesus has already won the victory. The gospel is that we were separated from God and enemies of him. God made this world good. People have messed it up. That is easy to see. Thank you, news, for always reporting on what's negative. But God, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, 
because God loves you. Because he loves you. I'm sorry, he's just just telling me to keep saying it. Because he loves you so much, he entered the darkness of this world. And oh, how dark it was when Jesus became a person. Guys, we took communion today. Jesus forever united himself to human flesh. He's still a human being. That's how much he loves humans. He would become one. That's how much he cares about this world, that he would actually attach himself for all eternity to creation itself, what he made. You understand the value in that, the value in the incarnation that we'll be celebrating at Christmas, that Jesus loved us so much that he would become one of us. And then he lived a perfect life, loving people like crazy, releasing heaven all over the place, and for that he got death on a cross. Wicked men put him to death, but God raised him from the dead. And somehow in the mystery of all that that means, it means that we get forgiveness for all of our sins. We get a relationship with God for all eternity, one of love, not of us trying to do things and make things happen for him, but one of rest, resting in the work of Jesus already on the cross and in the resurrection. Because that's the good news of the gospel is that you can be forgiven for everything you've ever done just by saying, Jesus, uh, help me. That's it. That's the ground for this. So every time now I am facing a crisis, I am trying to train myself to say, okay, Brian, calm down. Just rest. And the Lord told me this recently. He said, Brian, every time you create space, I will fill it. Whether that's I hear his voice or that's I sense his presence. Or even if I don't, I just know that he is filling that space because he's always moving toward me. He's already right here. He's actually even said, he's inside of me, right? That's the challenge. So I want to respond. Let's have the worship team come back up. I just want to practice this for a moment. So whatever's going on in your mind, if you just were really bored for the last, you know, 20 plus minutes, just check back in right now. What is that, what are those things that are, that are feeling really difficult right now? And I just want you to close your eyes maybe for a moment if you're comfortable doing that. And just, if, it, if you're a visual person, just picture yourself letting those things go. You're just opening your hands and those things are floating right to Jesus. Whatever that confusing or complex situation is that you're facing, maybe it's even a health crisis going on, just want you to just let that go. And then just, just rest. Tell your mind to be quiet and to stop thinking so much. And just listen. Ask the Lord to speak to you. You're not trying to just block everything out of your mind. You're just trying to let those difficult things go. And just be present to God. So Holy Spirit, would you just come and help us? If there's anyone that's struggling with this already, I just thank you. Jesus, this is easy with you. Help us to be able to do this in this moment. And Holy Spirit, I just pray you just fill this room with your love right now.
we'll stop right there. I mean, you can keep going if you want to. The, the worship team's going to play. Uh, parents, it is 1030, so if you want to go get your kids, we're going to sing one song, but it would be great for you to go get your kids right now so as soon as you're done kind of quieting yourself. But I just want to say, hey, you can do this at any time of the day. Just pause for a moment and just let those things go and say, okay, I'm quieting myself, Lord. What do you have for me in this moment? Maybe it's a feeling he just wants to give you of, okay, you're with me. Or maybe he's going to speak something to your heart and you're going to receive from him. But it's quieting these things down so you can engage with a person. And then from that place, I don't want to let this go, God does want to engage with you about whatever's going on in your life. We're coming to him first with humility and a posture of rest because Jesus has already done it. So Lord, I just bless this response time. Holy Spirit, would you just come and would you teach us how to quiet our hearts and our souls? throughout our days, Lord, I just release a blessing over every person in this room, all the kids in the back, Lord, that you would help us to rest in what you've done. Thank you, God.